So hello everyone and welcome to Coaches on the Couch. I'm Rachel and I'm Louise and today we're delighted to welcome Dan Whittingham who is Managing Director of Project Managers Opera to our virtual couch. Hi Dan, how are you? Good morning guys, I'm very well thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me along this morning. Great, no, very welcome. So before we get into anything else, let's chat couches. Please tell us something brief and interesting about your couch Dan. Okay, well, I suppose the first thing to say is I've cheated and it's not a couch. Um, <laughs> oh, no. And that's because I've listened to one, a few of your podcasts. You've got some really interesting uh, anecdotes about people's couches or sofas. Unfortunately, I don't have one about mine. However, um, what, I have, uh, what I have got is, um, is my favourite armchair, which is, uh, you'll probably recognise as a fairly well-known um, mid-century uh, classic. And I, the story around that is it's... A, it's uh, it's very dear to me because I bought it when I was living in Australia. Um, anyone who spends more than two minutes in my company will know I, it doesn't take much for me to go very misty-eyed about the five uh, wonderful years I had living and working over there. Um, and my son was born uh, out there when we were living, uh, like all good ponds, just, uh, just at Bondi Beach. Um, so that's uh, it's a, it's a chair I managed to buy over there. It's, it's actually made by Herman Miller. You can't buy them in this country. Uh, which is the furniture snob in me. But what I really like about it is on the on the left-hand arm, you've got two uh, little teeth marks of a of an 18-month-old. Uh, and that was my son, Zach, who came over one day and decided to bite as hard as he could into the sofa arm. And of course, it those teeth marks are still there to this day. So I thought that's rather nice and often reminds me yeah. of, of the time we spent as a family uh, and certainly Zach's early years growing up in Bondi. Well, that's lovely. Um, a chair with memories will we'll let you get away with um, sneaking a chair in. Although a friend of mine told me off about that the other day and said it was off brand to have, you know, bikes and chairs and <laughs> bikes, chairs and sides, lounges. <laughs> Goodness knows what. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Opera <laughs> is a project management company uh, founded in 2015. And for an organization founded just six years ago, um, you've got some client list, uh, as far as I can see from your website, and you're currently leading projects for Derwent. British Land, Muse, The Office Group, Battersea Power Station, Argent, Landsec, Fora, Twitter, and various global banks. So there's not many big occupiers that I can think that aren't in that list. And Dan, you've been Managing Director since 2016, having previously spent time at Great Portland Estates and AYH, a huge blast from the past, obviously AYH, now Arcadis. Um, what, have you, what have you been working on recently, Dan? What have I been working on? So, um, I mean, I joined the business right in the sort of very early years. I'm sure we'll come on to talk a bit more about that. Um, and my my original role was 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 to set up essentially our office development sector. So I'd spent probably 85% of my career building uh, or involved in in offices, either major refurb, sort of complex, uh, you know, cut and carve or new builds. So. Um, a lot of what I do these days is very much still in that sphere. So I tend to look mm. after projects for people like Derwent. Um, we're working on two schemes for them at the moment, one of which is in a, a new neighbourhood for them. So that's that's all really exciting stuff. And, and having been a business that, you know, I'd certainly admired for many years, it's great to be working with them. They're, they're fantastic people. And we've got uh, we've got a great team um, on those schemes. Um, also do quite a bit for British land, again, in the office sector and uh, at the moment focusing pretty squarely on their Broadgate estate uh, in terms of obviously the number of holdings they have mm. there. OK, and obviously this is a podcast about progressive leadership. 
and as project managers you're a company full of leaders so no pressure at all Dan we're expecting some really heavyweight tips from this conversation <laughs> yeah and when we were chatting about themes for today you mentioned um, the distinction between leading the project and leading a business which we thought would be a really interesting place to start so perhaps you could start saying a bit more about the difference in emphasis and traits you've seen between those two things Sure. Yeah, this is, um, I suppose this is something that, you know, the subject of leadership is something I spend quite a lot of time thinking about. I mean, inevitably one has to, and given the role that, that I find myself in um, leading a business like opera, but obviously the other point, and, the, and I suppose the key point is that as a project manager, and certainly the way we approach our projects and very much the way we set ourselves up as a business, it's very much about providing leadership at projects. And, and that, that really cuts across everything that we do and we try to do. I think, um, you know, reflecting on this, there are there are some key differences, but actually, the more I've been thinking about this in the last few days in preparation for today, there are actually rather a lot of similarities, and particularly, uh, you know, the situation we find ourselves in at the moment, where our only interaction is, you know, frankly, through uh, Teams or Zoom or over the phone. I, I think the, the key difference really um, at project level is that projects are very task orientated so you know project managers have to be have to have a very sound grasp of what everybody's role is and they have to be a very you know and you have to understand that and that's a challenge for when you you, you arrive in the industry as a, a sort of a postgrad and you're straight into the role where you're actually meant to be you know conducting and and orchestrating projects and teams but inevitably the more time you get doing that and the more experience that you gain the, the more effective you could become at it. So I think that's the central difference is that, you know, projects are very much about tasks, but at the same time, um, I think a, a real hallmark of leadership at project level is, is similar to the way one should manage an organization. And then that is that you have to create uh, a really positive environment at project level. And I think the, the project manager has a, a central role in that. Uh, uh, but, but equally, and perhaps more so, you know, the, the client has to, and I think that's a really important role that the clients have, and, and lots of the clients, in fact, pretty much all the clients we work with, I think are very good at that. So they they are not just sitting there looking, you know, po-faced and, uh, uh, and slightly cross most of the time and banging the table. They are very, very much engaged with their teams. They understand the importance of setting an example. They're great at trying to motivate people. And I've really found that clients have been fantastic at that during the course of the last sort of 10 12 months some of the biggest i suppose belly laughs i've had in the last year have been uh, on teams or zooms call you know with uh, with project teams so i think i think that's a really important part and i think you know just going back to your question you know project managers do have a, a really key role at creating a positive environment i think there's a real alchemy that you can create at project level you know, they are in, essentially, they are mini companies that are set up, you know, very, very quickly and are expected to just operate really efficiently from the very off. And I think that that's, again, something that project managers, you know, have to understand. So that's really interesting. So what you're saying is that projects, um, although very task orientated, uh, one of the things that has to happen almost immediately is that the project manager has to create a positive environment where everybody can operate at their best. And that has to be created at the project level. And I like the way that you said that projects are essentially companies that are set up very quickly and then are expected to operate very efficiently from the get from the get go from the off, um, which is very different, of course, from most companies. So I wondered 
where you saw the major difference between running a project and running a business? I certainly have always felt a, a far greater weight of responsibility in terms of the people that have frankly given us over, you know, what we hope are the best years of their career and that we've got a real responsibility to make sure that those those years are well served and that there is an exchange in terms of what they're providing mm. for us and what they give the company and that we, we better make sure that we're giving them something something back. So I think the key difference, as much as one has to have um, a, a, an antenna and an understanding of how each of the project team members are operating and behaving, if someone's head's dropped, you, know, you, you have a separate conversation with them if there's a particular issue. You always have the kind of back channel of conversations that are open. I think when it comes to you know, managing and running a business, uh, you, you have to take that a, a whole level more seriously and you have to be very attuned to everybody's needs. You know, what is it they're doing in our business? Why have they decided to join us? What is it they're looking for? How are they motivated? What, how can we motivate them? And I think the, the, the first mistake that you make as a leader, certainly one I made, is I started immediately applying what worked for me? What did I respect? What, what was a good leader look like when I was growing up on the rails um and surely that's what everybody um that's the way everybody ticks and that's the way I should then manage everybody and you soon realize that if what what lies beneath that is actually I think everybody should be actually a bit a bit like me and that would be frankly an appalling thought if there was uh, you know (laughs) more than one version of me in, in our business I don't think there'd be too many other people around so I think um that that piece about trying to understand everybody uh, working out what people's strengths are and they may be completely different from your own and working out I don't like to, I'd less like the word weaknesses we, we tend to refer yeah. to gaps you know what where are the gaps in people's experience or approach and and set about trying to work out what they are but at the same time and particularly given the history of our business um, you have to be able to do all of that as well as getting everybody to coalesce around you know, a vision, frankly, yeah. and, and a, an organising thought about what is this business and and what is it and, and, and what, what, what could it be, what should it be and, and how is it we're going to get there. So I just wanted to step out of the conversation just briefly there, because Dan is talking a lot about motivation, which clearly crucial skill for leaders to be able to motivate a team. And particularly at the moment when people are working remote or perhaps, you know, later on in the year when people are partially back in the office how they continue to motivate their team is going to be a big thing so we wanted to reference a uh, a model I guess it is within a, a book by another Dan called Dan Pink in his book Drive and he talks about three elements of motiv- motivating people mastery getting better and better at something autonomy so that can the need to direct your own life and purpose so working on something that's bigger than oneself and you can kind of hear those three things I think in what Dan Whittingham is saying there you know the need to recognize that different people have different strengths and how do they build on those the need to coalesce around a vision or an organizing thought and I think also just the sort of recognition that not everyone is the same really gets at that point around autonomy so we're going to return to the conversation now just as Dan's starting to expand on the traits which are important to running a business and he's talking very much here about his own leadership style so little experience of managing internally I had managed to pretty much be a bit of a lone wolf most of my career so I'd been in 
you know, a, a client role, uh, uh, as I mentioned, at GPE and, and had a, you know, almost sort of ran a family office for a, a local developer when I was in, uh, when I was in Sydney. So had lots and lots of experience about managing, you know, multi-disc teams, lots and lots of individuals, really enjoyed that, but had never actually even managed an internal team at a consultancy business, let alone take on the, the management of a company. So I think what was... I sort of threw myself into that with real energy because I had such conviction of what I thought the business could be. Mm. Um, and we sort of we sort of set off uh, to to remodel the business around what we called the the, the four R's. So there was the refinancing that, that was needed after sort of 18 months. Um, we needed to rebalance the business because we were very heavily weighted into the retail sector. So there was opportunities in fit out as well as in the commercial. Um, we had to uh, restructure the business, so we'd grown quite quickly. I think it's fair to say that we needed to think again about the sort of, you know, the caliber of the talent that we had within the company. So that was that was one of the, the key challenges and, and certainly one of the hardest ones. Um, and the fourth was to rebrand it. So I felt that the opportunity to to really you know, make a statement to the market that the business was very different. So that was those, so we set off on, on you know, with those kind of four R's as the guiding principle. And, and it was all very much about trying to convert this business of really, really talented senior directors with support into, you know, what I felt the business ultimately could be. So my, my what really, I suppose, drove me in those days was very much this, this, this thing I mentioned about having conviction about what the business could be. Um, to try and start to fill that gap in the market that I think I had opened off uh, up off the back of the, the last recession and a lot of the consolidation that had happened, a lot of the you know older independent PM businesses have, had been had been bought up. Um, but in doing so, you quickly realise that uh, that sort of you know right guys, I'm going to this is where we're going. I'm going to lead by example. This is what good or, or exceptional looks like. And, you know, you better follow me because that's where we're headed. You, you soon come to realise that that's not necessarily a style that, that suits everybody. Mm. So there was a real, I think there was a need for it to a certain degree. And look, don't get me wrong, the, 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 as I said, I was the last director in, but the, the existing incumbent directors were all hugely supportive of, of the direction that, that I wanted to take us in. You know, I equally was fantastically well supported at board level by by Dean Webster and James Holder. So Dean really is my sort of number two and James is our FD. Uh, and what was fantastic about that is that Dean had spent many years running a much bigger consultancy business in, in Sweet Group. And so what he didn't know about corporate governance, corporate structures, shareholder agreements, et cetera, probably wasn't worth knowing. And that allowed me to focus very much on being out there in the market, trying to promote the message of what we were as a business and what we would like to be as a business and, and to frankly spend, you know, 80, 85% of my time at, at the coalface on projects is what I enjoy. Mm. Um, that, that served us, I think, exceptionally well. Um, we got to a position where I led an MBO to sort of get out from under about three years ago. And that opened up the opportunity for a wider ownership amongst some of the guys that have been around a bit longer, as well as some of the sort of newer team members. So that was great in terms of kind of putting real ownership around, around the company. And, and that fitted very well with where we got to. But around that time, probably sort of in the last two years, I was reflecting that uh, I'd got the company this far or got, got the company to this point off the back of what was really instinct, you know, what I felt was the right approach in terms of, you know, really being quite externally focused uh, in terms of the perception of the business in the market. Mm. Um, and that what there was a need for was for me to, I suppose, 
pause and examine my style of leadership internally and look at, you know, okay, how am I really going to actually create a business that's got meaning and has got uh, longevity and that is going to, you know, be still be here in 10 years time. And that was what led me to seeking out uh, some leadership coaching. Okay, we thought it was probably just worth just jumping in again here. It's interesting that Dan's outlining his own leadership style, which he found to be quite limited at this particular time. And it made me think about Daniel Goleman, who has six leadership styles, which he sets out within his model. And those are pace setting, which I think actually is what Dan really is describing here. Then the other five are visionary, coaching, democratic, affiliative and commanding or sometimes known as coercive. It's worth looking that up. But it's interesting that this is what made Dan go off to seek coaching, because frequently coaching really helps people develop the agility between those different styles. It's fundamental to both the Step Up programme that we do and generally around one to one leadership coaching. So we're going to rejoin the conversation just as Dan starts to expand on how he's now applying his coaching experience really back to the business. So what we now do as a business, and this is really all about the kind of the next five to 10 years of, of the company, is to engage much more widely and much more deeply with the team. And we've put a, a coaching and mentoring program in place so that we can really start to devote. Uh, and there's about, you know, there are five mentors in the business, or so I'm one of them. And that's actually quite a structured approach to everybody to make sure that we are giving everybody the, the, the best opportunity to get the best out of their career with us and that's outside yeah. of the line management role it uh, is there's that sort of mentoring structure so that people get support from different people within the organization rather than from just from the person that they call manager this is exactly right and we actually uh, and that was a challenge because we were you know we we're approaching 25 people as a business so to have a totally separate mentor to your line manager is mm. is not always straightforward but that's definitely something we've done and we recognize that and, and we have the benefit of, you know, some pretty senior guys who've been around. Richard Elliott, uh, who was head of delivery construction at British Land for for many years, is one of our non-execs, and he um, he's actually been very pivotal in designing our mentoring program. And in fact, he is one of our mentors. Um, has it become even more important during the last almost year of hybrid working that mentoring relationship? Do you think? I would probably say the hybrid the, working, working from home. Yeah, it, it, I think, Louise, it is the most important thing. You know, we've all we've got a, a fantastic group of very, high, you know, very intelligent, um, highly motivated people who are really, really good at keeping their clients, you know, uh, well serviced, well looked after. And we get lots of really great feedback on that on that score. But what we fundamentally recognized some time ago is that we need to we need to give people the opportunity to offload we need to give people the off, you know a sort of a safe place to kind of talk through what it is they're going through you know we were great as a business like everybody was at having lots of friday drinks and quizzes mm. but you, that, you know you can only do that for so long you know that the attendance started to drop off so we've had to constantly try and find new ways and to try and invent new ways of getting people engaged. The hybrid working and obviously your client list spans most of the big developers in London and also a number of the major occupiers. 
I just wonder what you're without specific names, obviously, but I just wonder what you're seeing in terms of people's thinking around hybrid working in future. I think it, funnily enough, I still think it's quite embryonic. A lot of the development work we're doing is based around lease expiries, and there's a real difference in the the nature of office refurbishment at the moment and what people are actually you know building into design is obviously a piece around covid and it'll be interesting to see whether that is something we're still talking about in yes. two or three years time yeah. i think the the point around what is the office going to do how is it going to adapt and respond and i think it, it, you know it inevitably will be it will see a move away from much denser occupation uh ratios i think there will be much more space for interaction for the kind of human experience and I think that's a really important thing. Um, I think it's a bit too soon to say whether that has a fundamental impact on the, the, the supply of, of offices. As I said, I think people have written it off far too, too quickly. I think what's going to be really interesting in terms of our ways of working and, and certainly something that we have to factor in both as project managers and, and, and leading a company is when, as you say, when, it, when we have this hybrid. So we are not all going to be let out you know mm. the next day and all of a sudden back into the office it's going to be very much phase and i think you know it's fine at the moment because we're all behind a screen and we're all you know there's 15 16 people on a zoom meeting um but when you've got uh clients who start opening their offices up uh, you know you may have half of those people around the table sat yeah. in the room with the client with the other half sat on the tv screen yeah that's going to be very that, complicated yeah i think it's going to be a real challenge and I think those that are behind the screen will lose something and mm. you don't want that you want everybody to have the same experience at project level mm. um, and so I think that's going to be a real challenge and inevitably there will, be, there will be some who are going to be a bit more anxious and nervous about being able to come into into central London and uh, and sit and work you know what this will do is just accelerate all, a, a number of prevailing trends within, yeah. within the way that we work and the way we use offices so you know huge impact on on flexibility and home working and I think you know I think London on a Monday and a Friday will inevitably feel a lot more quiet than it does than it, than it will do on a Tuesday Wednesday or Thursday and I think people will be a bit more selective it's interesting that every business is having to make up its own mind I've got a friend who works for an international bank and they've said no <laughs> apart from anything they've because they've during the peak lockdown they've had people who have been working from all over the place and the bank has now said no we don't want that happening anymore you're not you're not to work from Spain mm. or you're not to work from Ireland or whatever, which I think is interesting. And and I think that one of the reasons they've given for that and something I was reading the other day was saying that one of one of the reasons for that is it's difficult to keep everybody motivated. If, every, if everybody is working in yeah. different contexts and different situations, you lose that sense of all being all having the same kind of common experience and common purpose. I think I think that's absolutely right. And I think the all important, you know, subject of culture is and a business culture and how do you maintain mm. a business culture, particularly us. We are we're a growing company. We are an evolving company. We're a really young business. We haven't found our feet in every in every part of of, uh, of, of what we want to be yet. And so trying to continue to develop that in the situation we're in at the moment is a challenge. It's a real challenge. But my feeling is that most if not all of our team are desperate to get back into the office in some capacity it doesn't mean they're going to be there at eight on a Monday morning and and check out at six on a Friday uh, I think you know we're in the process of re-looking re at our flexible working policy in as much as we go in for writing really stringent policies so I think that'll be you know that'll be really interesting and that'll be really important but I think that you know everybody has to be flexible and agile and accept that we're in a very different 
you know, the, the world is going to feel a bit different for a, from a while to come. My overall feeling is that in five years' time, we will look back and this will be but a, uh, a distant and fairly unpleasant memory. And, you know, I don't think things are necessarily going to be um, hugely difficult, uh, hugely different, but that remains to be seen. Is there anything that has happened over the last 12 months where you thought, actually, that's a benefit, though, let's hang on to that? We sort of put the business on a bit of a war footing back in March, April, because we had to, very happy to say that within a matter of weeks, it was a, it, it became clear that, you know, the business was actually in pretty good shape and that we weren't all going to disappear over a cliff. Um, but what we did do is we started having, we had a daily board meeting, um, but we had a, we split the business up into groups and we, we had a, a morning check-in call. Now, we're still doing those best part of a year on uh, yeah. three times a week. Mm. And I think, I mean, they're brilliant for me because I get to understand you know, inevitably the people in my group tend to be where I'm working on them with projects, what's happening at project level. But you just get to see people and as much as you can down a screen, see how they are, what's their mood like, do they need a separate conversation, you know, should I make time to find them and, yeah. and see how they're getting on. So I think that we've actually become more, we've spent more time with each other in the last 12 months than we probably would have done. Yeah, a lot of our conversations have been around what we're going to hold onto and what we're going to let go of. And I think one of the things to hold on to is that sense, I mean, particularly in a company of your size, that sense of more intimacy, really, almost, you know, deeper relationships that you've yeah. formed with people because you're all looking out for each other's well-being. And that's something to hold on to, isn't it? I think it is. Look, we, like all good growing consultancies, we do an, or we have done an awful lot of navel gazing about, you know, what size should we be? How big are we going to become? We got to the moment in the summer where, you know, we'd had a really, probably our, strongest six months since we started we're going what's that about you know let's try and examine what that is and and what you know without going into too much detail the conclude one of the conclusions was is that we want to abandon this kind of increased headcount is some arbitrary growth measure and what we all realize we really like about our company is it, it, it is the family feel is you know and i think if you get too much bigger than 25 30 people you're in danger of starting to lose that and we, we survey everybody quite regularly how you're getting on a lot of it's quant quantitative as well as qualitative right. you know describe what's going well not so well and one of the comments came back in our later survey that said I feel more I feel closer now bizarrely to my colleagues than I have ever done before and I thought that was a really interesting isn't that interesting statement I was very <laughs> pleased to see that it wasn't mm. something that everybody was saying but no um and, and so there's something in that and I think there's something in this this feeling that we have in, in in our culture or this this part of our culture which is all about being a family and like all families we are you know we have moments of being hugely dysfunctional and and people have uh, moments between them that's that's inevitable you get that where you get human beings in my experience so i think that's something we you know that, that i suppose what i'm saying in a long in a long-winded fashion is that the experience of of one of the experiences of, of covid has been that we we are far less interested and caught up in the need to grow and be a much bigger business you know we, we quite well, that's like really interesting the company because, we are yeah because you might lose that so in in terms of one of the things to hold on to that's a good learning that you've had from this period of time to hold on to and and other than everybody working remotely what else would you let go of do you think in this period well the obvious one is just not being able to spend time together socially the, the social side of things is is incredibly important mm -hmm. um and we miss it. I mean, I, I really miss it. When I, when I, I, I mean, I miss going into London. I, I've been in occasionally when I've had to, and I, it's like a sort of exciting day out, you know, going, going up to London on the train. And when you get there and realise it's like a sort of, it's like a zombie movie. There's literally nobody there. I was staring down at London Bridge the other evening at 5.30, 
and there was not a single vehicle. Well, that must be so weird. I haven't actually done it, but it must be. No. It must be really, really weird. Yeah. I, I know there are people who find it very unsettling, actually, and they sort of, they they run. They they can't wait to get out of London quick enough. So I think the whole the the whole bit around uh, socials. I mean, we have an annual conference which we've always held up at the snow. Got some very keen skiers, although I hasten to add it is, you know, it does have a fairly important purpose and we do actually have a conference. So we've obviously, you know, we would normally be there around this time of year and everyone has, I've really missed that. Everybody's really missed that. And we hope to do something similar, a bit, you know, a version of that later in the year. I dare say it'll probably be on these shores as opposed to going anywhere else. So that's that's something that we have to get back to. And, and lo- what, yeah. you know, lots of people in other businesses at project level talk a lot about you know once we do get back to some degree of normality no one's going to get any work done because we'll all be partying so hard so there'll be there'll be a bit of that i meant to that indeed maybe if we look for three words to sum up your thoughts on maybe this year the future this year the obvious one would be challenging i think i would probably use the word exciting i think I think we're at a really exciting point in our history as a business. And I think there's a palpable excitement, even though we're all stuck behind screens. Um, And I think the third one would be, I suppose I might use the word energy, you know, energetic. I think, I think there's a lot of pent up energy within our, our entire industry, probably our country. I think, I think it's really interesting. You read about what happened after the Spanish flu, you know, you had the kind of roaring twenties and, wouldn't that be nice if we ended up in a kind of uh, boom period like that? I don't know that we will, but I do. I, I, I am a, an optimist to my core and I see, I really do see better days ahead. I've said that so many times in emails to the team, you know, this too will pass as a, or this too yeah. shall pass as a bit of a mantra, but <laughs> you know, I think uh, we're all going to come through this and I dare say we'll all be the better for it. Thanks Dan. Let's end on that note. It's great. Thanks very much for your time. It's great to see you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you very thank much. You very, very and I, much. I love Thanks the, uh, I love the sense of uh, all that, all that pent up energy. Oh, that's going it's like to a coiled be, spring. Be, yeah, like a coiled spring <laughs> to de- be dispersed in the uh, eateries of London at some it, stage. It'll be another management challenge for sure. But there we go. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. See you soon. Thanks very much. Cheerio. See you. Bye. Bye.